Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. We are continuing our wandering series and uh, we've been looking at the Israelites as they left Egypt and wandered through the desert for 40 years before they were able to take the promised land. Uh, And we've been examining how their journey... Uh, was in, in a lot of ways to prepare and transform them to be the kingdom of priests that God was calling them to be. Uh, and as we've been looking through that, I, I've been mentioning the, for the past uh, couple weeks that as we look at them, we can take a look at our own relationship with God and learn some lessons from them and their journey and their relationship with God. Uh, so we've been going through that, and the three things that God, I, I felt God lay on my heart to share with all of you Uh, was first provision, how God was providing for them, and how God would take care of their needs each and every day. And as he did that, he was helping them to be a people that trusted him, that knew that he would take care of them and be there for them, so that when they take the promised land, they know they have a God that provides. So we talked about that, and we talked last week about God's presence, that God instructed the people on how to build a space for him, to create space for God to dwell among them. Not to, not to dwell in that space, to dwell among them. And so they created the tabernacle, and that was just a representative space for God to dwell amongst his people. And so uh, they did that, and then they would take it with them everywhere they went. And the first thing they would set up when they set camp was the tabernacle, and they would place it in the middle of camp so that God's presence would dwell among them in the middle of their entire community. So we talked about those two things and how God's provision and God's presence was transforming them, preparing them, and how we need to recognize how God is providing for us, and we need to create a space for God as well in our lives, just like the Israelites did, if we want to be prepared and transformed for the journey that God has for us as well. Uh, this week is the week that I've been kind of alluding to that I'm not as excited about. Uh, you know, I, a while ago, God told me, I was, I was wrestling with one of the sermons that God had told me to preach. I was like, God, why do you have me do this? Like, why, why is this my responsibility? Uh, and he said, because you're so handsome. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> that might have been just me talking to myself. Um, he said, because I listen. And I was like, ah, I don't like that, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's what he spoke to me, and this is one of those moments where he's telling me something, and I'm like, okay, God, I'll listen. I'll do what you tell me to do. So this week, we're talking about punishment and how God was providing for his people. He was dwelling among them, uh, and then he is, he also, along the journey, punishes them. And you can uh, change the word if you want. Like, you can say, if you don't like the word punishment, but that's got a bad ringing in your sound, you could, you could change it to consequence. You can use... Raph, I don't know that that would be much better, but um, you can use discipline. A lot of people like discipline, but whatever words you use, it basically equates to the same thing, that as you're looking through the Old Testament, you'll see time and time again God dealing out discipline, consequences, punishment to his people. Uh, and there's, there's no getting around that. You can't read through the Old Testament. You can make you know, you can make all the excuses of why they deserved it or how this happens. You can deal with a lot of this different stuff, but at the end of the day, um, it's there. And so, uh, I, I, even though I, I don't really enjoy this conversation, uh, it's something that I felt God leading me to share with all of you. One, because I think it's important to make sure we're reading all of Scripture. 
That we're not just picking and choosing parts that we like and we don't like, that we're wrestling with all of Scripture. Uh, another thing I think is important is for my, me and the staff and, and anyone that speaks on a stage to model what it looks like to not be completely comfortable with everything you read in here. I, I, I think sometimes we, we put this projection out there that everything in here sits perfectly right with us and we have no problems with it whatsoever. And I think that's hard for people because people that are wrestling with faith, people that are trying to learn Christianity and they come to passages like this. You ever experienced this where someone's like, I'm interested in Christianity. I want to read through the Bible. They get through the, they start reading. Of course, they start in Genesis and they, they're like, wait, what is this book? You know, I think it's important for us to walk alongside people with that and be like, you know, I, there's parts of it I don't completely understand. And so that's what I, I wanted to model for all of you, is that I, I don't completely understand. I'm not super comfortable with this. But I want you to know that that's also okay. I recognize that if I was completely comfortable with everything in here, there probably is a problem. Because I'm not God, you know? I'm not, I'm not actually, I know, some of you are disappointed by that. But that, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I'm not God. I don't know everything. I don't see everything. If I knew everything God knew, if I saw everything God saw, I probably would understand this a whole lot better. But I don't. And so because of that, there's parts of it that I, I wrestle with. And I'm, I'm a sinful human being, so I see things a little differently. There are things that I'm just, I struggle with. But at the end of the day, what the important thing for us to understand is that having faith in God, having a relationship with him, trusting him, does not mean not having doubt or struggling with anything. It means that when we face our doubt, when we have these moments where we're confused or we don't understand that we're choosing to believe anyway. We're choosing to believe in God and know that, you know what, I trust him, I believe in him, I believe in this word, and even though it doesn't make complete sense to me, I know that he's, he's the truth. And um, so I'm, I, I want us to be able to do that. I want us to be able to help um, each other, walk alongside each other, and wrestle with scripture together. Um, all of it, and not just parts of it. Uh, usually, at the end of the day, usually uh, God helps, helps me understand later. I, I end up finding an answer to wh- whether that's a, a part in Scripture that I don't necessarily like so much. Later, I, te- I typically understand it. Uh, or there's a moment in my life where I don't really understand what God's doing or why he's doing it. Typically, later on, God helps me see things differently. Um, but it takes a while. So before we dive in and read this passage, we're just going to look through... Uh, Numbers chapter 16 at one particular story today, but before we get into it, let's pray and give this time over to God. Uh, Hey God, um, I want to say thank you for this opportunity, but I'm not exactly super grateful for it. Um, But I am grateful that uh, you are a good God, that you you love us and you passionately pursue us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we read your word, as we wrestle with Uh, Some of the things in life and in scripture that we don't necessarily understand or or that we are, I don't know, struggling to see what you you are doing and why you're doing it, I pray, Lord, that you can help us with our unbelief, help us with our doubt, help help us see things from your perspective if we can, but even if we can't, in spite of that, help us believe and trust in you, knowing that you are a good God, that you love us and uh, that you have good plans for us. So I pray, Lord, that you help us... uh, do that today as we read through your word and, and uh, that we can grow in our faith and grow together as believers. Uh, we give this time over to you. It's yours. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know why I'm struggling with this. Okay. 
We're going to, like I said, we're going to look at uh, Numbers chapter 16, and I'm going to kind of bounce through pieces of it because it's a really long chapter, so I'm going to read it, but I encourage you all to read through it on your own. Um, but I'll sum up the parts that I don't read. So first in Gen, Gen, or, sorry, Numbers chapter 16, verse 1 through 5, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, this is what it says. Now Korah, the son of Ezar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Ibiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled together. They assembled themselves together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show us who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. So, uh, right before this story is the moment where the, all the Israelite community makes it to the promised land. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that they actually get to the promised land within a few years. It doesn't take very long for them to get there, but they choose not to enter it because there's giants in the land. Uh, there's fortified cities, and they're afraid, and they think that they cannot take the land. Even though they've seen God do some impressive things, uh, they're afraid that they will be overwhelmed by the, the enemy in the promised land. Uh, and so they don't enter, and they choose not to, and God says, okay, then you're going to wander in the wilderness, and that's what begins this 40-year journey, uh, is that they, are, they reject the promised land because they're too afraid to enter it. And then, uh, just after God delivers that message through Moses to them that they cannot enter the promised land, they are upset and decide to enter it anyway. They're like, wait, no, even though we said it would be better to die in the wilderness, we don't want to die in the wilderness. So we're going to try to enter the promised land now without God, now without his presence, now without his permission, now without him going with us. And so they go and they get defeated immediately. They get destroyed. Moses warned them and said, if you do this, it's not going to be good. And they go and they get destroyed immediately. And then after that, as they're wandering, after that community of people, a bunch of, a bunch of people die after that event. Uh, they begin the wandering, and uh, there's a certain moment where there's a man out picking up wood in, on, on the Sabbath day. And God had commanded them, he had said very clearly, that one of, the, one of the vows between his people and God, that he's going to keep providing for them, protecting them, taking care of them, but one of the vows he, he asked them to not do is to do any work on the Sabbath, to keep that holy, set apart, a day that they would rest and just be in the presence of God, and yet this one man decides to go and, and work, and do work on the Sabbath day. So they take him into custody, and Moses and Aaron are kind of deliberating, what do we do? Like, what? <laughs> you can kind of see how they're, they're not fully understanding how this, this whole cycle of stuff works. They don't really understand everything yet. This is a new relationship with God, and they don't know what they're supposed to do with this guy. And in the end, what they decide to do is stone the man. And, and so the community of people stone this man. And uh, after that, they, they give these tassels out, the tassels. Have you ever seen an Orthodox Jew? Uh, they have these tassels. 
And the tassels are representative of the law, and you're supposed to have the tassels, and, and you're supposed to wear them on your clothing so that it reminds you to follow the law, to not disobey the law. And it reminds you of the law each and every day because you have these tassels dangling all around you. And, and so you know, okay, there's the law. And it's, it's following this story. So they, they, they were like, hey, we just had to kill this guy because he, he was doing something on, that he wasn't supposed to do. He was breaking the commandment that God had given us. And so I want everybody to wear these tassels so you don't forget. Do not forget this important rule. And it's in the face of that that this group of people, led by Korah, decide, I do not, I don't trust these guys anymore. I don't like Moses and Aaron. I don't like the rules that they're, they're, they're giving to us. I don't like, you know what? I, I'm a Levite. I'm, they, these, these gentlemen are, as it said here, that they're well-known, chosen from the assembly. These are, are priests that were instructed to care for the tabernacle. And so they're, represent, they're recognizing now that they are important. They're significant. What makes Moses and Aaron so special? We can, we can discern for ourselves what God has. And I'm tired of Moses and Aaron doing whatever they want to do. And, and they have to recognize that we, we commune with God too. We know who God is and we can, we can have that relationship with him and, and we don't like them. So they come before Moses and Aaron and say, we don't like you guys. We have a problem. You have gone too far. Uh, so Moses devises a plan. He says, well, first of all, he humbly falls on his face and, and says, we're going to figure out who's for God, who's, whose side God is on. And so he devises this plan where they're going to take these censers, uh, which is like, you know, those chains with uh, these golden, like, kind of spheres that have incense in them. You've probably seen them in, like, the Catholic tradition. So they, they decide that they're going to take these golden censers, and everyone's going to bring them to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And Moses and Aaron are going to be on one side, and the 250 men that are frustrated with them, they're going to be on the other. And Moses says, we're going to devise this plan, and then God's going to appear to us, and he, we're going to figure out whose side he's on. And so you see in Moses' plan, one, Moses doesn't fight back and is like, you know, I am better than you. I'm the one. Did, did, did you see the burning bush? Did you, did you stand before Pharaoh? Did you do all these things? Like, he doesn't go into any of that. He says, okay, I'm going to fall on my face, and we're going to figure out which side God is on. And so he, he is recognizing that the authority is not his authority, but it's God's authority, and he's humbly submitting to God's authority, and he devises a plan to help reveal the truth of who's under God's authority. So uh, he, tells them, he tells them this, that that's what he wants to do. And then he says this in, in verse 8 through 14. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him? And all your brothers and sons, uh, the sons of Levi with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses said to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing? Listen to their response. 
Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you must also make for yourself a that you also must make yourself a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So Moses. It, he, he talks to the men, and, he, and I, there's a part of this that's reasoning with them. He's like, is, is it a small thing that God has called you? Like, you're, you're now using this against God. You're using this against us. God is giving you authority, and he's giving you responsibility with his people. Is that not enough? Why, why do you contend with God? And, and I love what he says, like, what is Aaron? Why are you grumbling against Aaron? Like, Aaron is nothing. He is just a man that God has called, and what they don't recognize and what they don't see and what Moses is trying to help them understand is that, and he says it, you've not gathered against me and Aaron. It's not Moses and Aaron's show. This is not their authority. This is not their decisions. They are listening to God. They are hearing God's voice and, and living out what God is calling them to do. And so this congregation of people that is frustrated with Moses and Aaron, they're not frustrated with them. They're frustrated with God. They've gathered against God, not Moses and Aaron. He, he's trying to get them to open up their eyes to that. And so is, it, is it too small a thing that God has given you this responsibility? Now you're coming against him? Now you're, you're, you're looking at his salvation as, as a burden to you, and instead you're, you're frustrated with him, even though we've, we're the ones that have fallen short. We as a people chose not to enter the promised land. And you listen to their response to Moses. First of all, they, they mimic him and say, is it too small a thing that you took us out of the land of flowing with milk and honey? That's not the promised land. He's talking about Egypt. Remember we talked about that, that if, if you remember the, the past and part of our brain, for some reason, we'll remember past, the past, and we'll remember the good times of the past sometimes, and, and we'll be drawn back to parts of our life that weren't good for us. And they're being drawn back because of the, the, the part of the season that they're going through, and they just got rejected from the promised land. They're not going into the promised land because they were too afraid, and now they're wandering in the desert so that they can be prepared and transformed so that when the next generation rises up, they will go into the promised land. But this generation is frustrated and doesn't like it. And they don't, they don't like these decisions that they think Moses and Aaron are making. But it's actually God. And they say, is it too small a thing that you took us out? You, Moses, not God, you, Moses, took us out of the land flowing with milk and honey to die in this wilderness. That we're, we're not, you didn't, you didn't actually bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. You promised us you were taking us out of slavery to a land flowing with milk and honey. We were going to have our own nation. Everything was going to be great. You promised us. And you didn't deliver. And now you're exalting yourself as, as uh, a prince over us, that, that you are in charge. And so they are seeing everything that has happened as Moses' decisions. This is all Moses' power, Moses' authority, and he is doing whatever he wants to do. They are not recognizing God's power in any of this. They're not giving God the credit for any of that. And on top of that, they're looking back at the past slavery and saying that, once again, that was better than where they are now. So, uh, 
eventually, they, they say that they don't want to go up, but Moses eventually convinces them and says, we are gonna, we're going to do this censor thing. You're going to bring your 250 men, you stand in front of the tabernacle, I'll stand on the other side with Aaron, and we will have our censors, and we will wait to see which side God is on. And so they eventually convince them, and they meet at the tent of meeting, and they have their censors, and it says, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So the glory of the Lord descends upon the tabernacle. And in verse 20, it says what, what God speaks in this moment. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So the glory of the Lord appears, and it speaks, and, and God speaks directly to Moses and Aaron and says, Back away. <laughs> I have some plans, and it's not good for these people. I need you to get back because I'm going to destroy them. And I'm not entirely sure if God, like Moses' response sounds like God's going to destroy a lot of people, not just the group that is assembled. And so Moses and Aaron fall on their face and plead and say, shall the sin of one man affect the whole community? Should, should we all be condemned for the sin of one man? And I, I love that because it's just such an allusion to Jesus of the sin of all men was, was rectified with one man. You know, like the there's sin of one man doesn't condemn a whole community, but one man's death does forgives, forgive us all of sin. So anyway, I just, I love that connection, and that's something that you see throughout scripture. But in this moment, Moses is saying before God, don't kill everyone just because of this person. And so God has a response to Moses and says, okay, I'm not going to destroy everyone. I'm just going to destroy these people. Make sure everyone stays away from them. There's this idea of contagious sin, you know. Uh, it's, it goes so far in the next part of the, the passage that he's like, don't even like rub up against their tents. Don't go anywhere near them. Stay away because there's this like idea of contagious sin. And I think that's, there's something there. Like I, I, I don't think like if you bump into somebody that's like a sinner, which we all are, but if you bump into somebody, I don't think you're a, like, it's like that kind of contagious sin. But there is something along with sin that when one of us starts to fall, it, it weakens the whole community. And, and I think we've experienced that. And, and the, true, the, the opposite is also true, that when one of us starts to uh, be changed by God, it affects the whole community as well. So, but anyway, they, God tells them to be separated, to not go near them. And this is the part that I struggle with that I wrestle with. Like all of this part, I, you know, I could read this story and I actually picked one of the easier punishment stories. There's harder ones to, to, to cover. <laughs> but hey, God, you told me to do one. I, you didn't say which one. So anyway, <laughs> I, uh, but there's still a part of this that I don't like. There's part of this that I really wrestle with because uh, as it speaks about them separating and all the community getting away from the houses of, of these three men, it says that the three men come out. But they're with their whole family, and it says their little ones are with them. That their, their little ones and, and everybody that's part of their community, their family, is outside of their tent. And then Moses speaks in verse 28. Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works 
and that it has not been of my own accord. Remember, they're, they're confusing Moses with what God is doing, that all of these decisions and all these things have been done by Moses' hand, and he's doing this for himself to get some kind of authority. But now he's explaining that, no, 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 this has not been by me. It's not my works and not my accord. Verse 29, if these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fates of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that the, these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive in Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at, the, at their cry, for they said, let's, let's, the earth swallows us up. That, yeah, I'd be pretty freaked out too. And fire came out from, from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So Moses tells the community like, hey, I, I want you all to be aware of what's happening here. That these men have, have decided that they are just as capable of hearing God's voice as I am, just as capable of making decisions. And instead of recognizing that God has been the one leading us and it's God's authority and it's God's power doing all of this stuff, they're thinking that it's me and it's Aaron and that we're exalting ourselves above you. So I'm going to, I'm going to call, well, God is going to destroy these people. And this is how you'll know that it's God's power and God's works and God's authority, not mine. Something different's going to happen here than ever happens. It's not, these men are not going to die because of natural means. There's no natural, we're not going to kill these men. We're not going, no. What's going to happen is the earth's going to open up and swallow these men. And immediately following that, the earth opens up and swallows them, their whole community, including the little ones. And they all go down to Sheol. And Sheol is uh, Hades, hell, uh, lake of fire, probably all the same thing. There's a lot of people that, you know, you could like parse it out and think, oh, maybe this is it. But... Either way, none of them are good, all right? So um, it's not a good place to go, and yet the whole community goes and is uh, swallowed up by the earth. And in fact, the Lord, and the fire comes forth. Remember, there's a lot of similarities between God and fire, and so God comes out in fire, and, and he consumes the, other, the rest of the 250 men. And uh, they're all destroyed. And then after that, uh, God actually, right immediately following this passage, God tells Moses, kind of like what happened with the tassels, where something bad happens and someone breaks the law and we need to remember this moment so that we don't fall into the same uh, mistakes. God tells them on the altar, the altar where they, commit, they make the sacrifices, to take the censers that all the 250 men brought to, in this like, battle of seeing who's God, who God is on the side of, he takes the, the censers and they hammer the, the bronze around the altar so that when they go to make the sacrifices on the altar, they remember this moment that it's God that they're worshiping. It's God they're making sacrifices to. It's God's power, God's authority, uh, and God's direction and guidance. And it's not Moses or Aaron, it's God. So once again, God gives them an instruction to remember the, the punishment that they go through and to be reminded of it. All right.
Everyone excited? Good? Nice. Um, yeah, like I said, this, there's parts of this, like, I completely understand. You know, I could read through that and be like, yeah, I get it. They're, they're not recognizing God's authority. But the little ones, that's the hard part for me. And I can also understand that when you're raised in a community and, and you see your father be consumed, it, it might be hard for you in the future to really trust that same God. And I, I, I wrestle with this. I can sit here and I can talk with you about it that I, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. And there's many more passages in the Bible that I, I'm like, oh God, I... Mm. But at the same time, I, I promise you that our God is good, that if at all possible that he can save and bring into relationship with people, with his children, his creation, he will do that. Like, if, if God is capable of doing that, he will do it. And so I know that, I see that in the rest of Scripture, I understand that, but there are moments like this where I'm reading through the Bible and I'm like, ooh, that one, that one I wrestle with. And I just want you to know that the, I, I believe that that's okay for us to have that, that tension with God and be like, okay, I, I trust you, I believe in you, God, I know that you're a good and loving God, but this part, it's hard for me. I have a few takeaways for this morning that I think that we can learn from. One, don't make God mad, all right? <laughs> don't make him mad. Uh, and with that comes an important lesson that God, he, he gets mad. There is a significant portion of scripture that tells us that God does have anger and he, he, he gets mad. He gets frustrated and he, he acts on that anger with righteous judgment, uh, and remember, he's the one that created everything. He makes the rules. Like, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but he does get mad. And there's a few things that I've seen in Scripture that really make God mad. And if you want to like, avoid making God mad, here's a few things that you should definitely not do. When you are called to help people, don't hurt instead. If you are hurting people instead of helping them, he gets really mad at that. If, you're not, if you don't have that responsibility that you have some kind of title where you're supposed to help other people, then I, there's less judgment and frustration with that. I see it all throughout Scripture. But when you are called to be set apart by God, like these men were, they were given responsibility, they are supposed to help with people's relationship with God, and instead they're hurting because they're not recognizing God's authority, and they are leading people astray, God gets very angry at this. If God has called you to help people, and instead you hurt them, He's going to get mad at you. I promise that. Another thing is pride. God does not like pride. He does not like you standing on an authority that you think you know more than he does. That you have the right to be able to judge what he does. Does not like pride. Uh, he also doesn't like pride in the terms of other people, like in your interactions with the other, whether you have pride before God or pride before man, pride's not a good thing. And he doesn't like when you ignore his authority. When you're not recognizing his authority, his ability, the fact that he is the one that orchestrates everything, when you're not giving credit to God for what he is doing, um, he gets frustrated and angry at that. Those are, th- those are three things that I see throughout Scripture. There's more things that you could probably pull out, but those three things I see all throughout Scripture, especially when you get to Jesus, you can kind of see his reaction over and over again. It's really easy to see these things. Second thing I want us to take away is when we come into these moments of, of judgment or frustration or we're in conflict, conflict, what? Conflict, we need to humbly submit ourselves before God. That's what I see Moses and Aaron doing. They're like, okay, you have a problem. I understand your problem. 
let's both go before God and see who he speaks to. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't, in anger, be like, what are you talking about? I am way better than you. I am so much more important. Have you talked with God like I have? No, he doesn't do any of that. He humbly submits before God and says, okay, God, show up to either one of us. I will humbly submit to God's authority and judgment. And so that's what Moses and Aaron do. And just so you know, like I know we're talking about angry God right now, but just so you know, he forgives very easily. You just can't be stubborn. And that's, that's what happens in these, these men come with pride and their stubbornness and they're like, we've done nothing wrong. You guys are in the wrong. And they're not willing to humbly submit before God's judgment and justice. And because of that, they aren't forgiven. I, I, I genuinely believe that if people come humbly before God every time, he will forgive. I believe this. I've seen it. I've experienced it. That if you are not going to be stubborn and prideful before God, he will forgive you. Another thing I want us to remember is that sin is serious, but relationship with God is more serious. I say this. This is one of the most important lessons I've ever learned. I say it a lot, and I'm going to keep saying it. People sometimes get in these chairs, and we come to these gatherings, and we read the Bible, and we want to work on a relationship with God, and we walk away with the idea that the most important thing we can do is rid sin from our life. The most important thing you can do with your relationship with God is grow deeper in that relationship with God. I promise you that if you focus on that, you will see the sin in your life begin to dissipate. But you can't do it on your own, and you can't make that the focus. If you come here and you're like, oh, I'm all pumped up, I'm going to be able to take care of my sin on my own, yeah, that sounds like a good thing, but it's not. You're taking your eyes off of who has the ability to take sin from your life. And you're missing on, out on the greater thing, which is relationship with God. Because what ends up happening is you walk away, you try to avoid sin, you you are a faulted human being, and so you will still struggle with sin, and then you think that your relationship with God is, is over. But that's not what this is about. We are supposed to be working on our relationship with God, growing deeper with Him, and as we do that, He will be like the Israelites, preparing us, transforming us, maybe even punishing us. But in that process, we will be able to rid the sin from our lives, not because of our ability, but because of what God does through us. So remember that. Sin is serious. It's a serious thing. I want, to, I want that to be clear, but it's not as serious, it's not as important as your relationship with God. Don't let the, the sin interrupt the relationship. Remember the punishment, not with guilt, but conviction. One of the things God continually tells them to do is remember, and he, he gives them these things. And I, I think this is a tradition that we have lost. That if, if you're brought through a moment in your relationship with God where you have dealt with consequences of the decisions that you've made, where you've gone through something like a punishment, you, again, you want to call it discipline, you want to call it whatever you want to call it, you've gone through a moment like this, remember it. Set up something to remember those lessons because you don't want to have to keep repeating them. And then the last thing is, I trust in God's goodness and you won't need to worry about his wrath. If you trust in God, humbly submit yourself before God's authority, then you don't need to worry about his wrath. I, I think a lot of us are spent, spending a lot of time being afraid of, of hurting or being, making God angry at us, but most of us should be focusing our time and our energy on just trusting and believing in him, walking forward, listening to him, humbly submitting to him when we can. And if you do that, you don't have to worry about the wrath at all. Um. I wanted to finish, before we do communion, uh, I wanted to read one more quote. Um, one of my favorite pastors, preachers that I listen to, actually, 
uh, passed away this week, and I wanted to read a quote from him. Uh, it's specifically when we're talking about reading the Bible and, and coming across passages that are hard for us. He said this, Contemporary people tend to examine the Bible looking for things they can't accept. But cr- Christians should reverse that, allowing the Bible to examine us looking for things God can't accept. It's Tim Keller. And he, uh, he mentioned he, in his... Quote, what he's saying is that as we read through scripture, we, we may go through the Bible, and maybe you're one of these people that you're like, oh, I, I'm going to nitpick the things I don't like. But what Tim Keller is saying, what we need to do as Christians, if we believe in God and trust in him, we need to read through this and let it examine us and see where we line up, see how, how we reflect God's glory and if, if, we're, if we're missing something, we're struggling with something. Um, it's giving the weight and authority to God's word instead of us and our ability so, we're going to take communion. We do this every week to remember what God has done for this. And, and I think this is an important thing to reflect on, especially as we just talked about this. We talk about God's wrath, God's judgment. I want you to remember that this is the same God that loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us. There is always a consequence for sin. And, and God understands that because it's a serious issue. But he provided a way out. He, he created a way for the, us to continue in relationship with him if, if we come humbly and submit ourselves to his authority. So do that this week. When, when you take this, humbly submit before God and his, his, his righteousness, his judgment, and, and understand that he has the power, he has the authority. It's him doing these things. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.